Amen, amen. Can we give the Lord a hand this morning? Great God. Hey, when you're seated, as you're seated, turn to somebody near you and say, Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. Do that, would you? If you're not glad they're here this morning, turn to somebody on the other side of you and say, Eh, I'm glad you're here. No, don't do that. Glad you're here this morning. Glad you're here. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Psalm 23. We're going to start off there and we're going to keep on coming right back into Psalm 23 today, but we're going to weave in and out of a lot of Scripture today as we conclude a series we started four weeks ago uh, called God's Table. And Pastor Dan took us on a, a journey that first week, talked about at God's Table. It's intended for us to have others at that table. So he asked the question, Who's at your table? And he, uh, he started, actually went out of Luke chapter 14. We're going to end there today, come back full circle. And then I started to talk a little bit about it. God's table. God's table is a place of peace. He says, you uh, anoint my head with oil. Uh, he says that you give me the ability to, to sit in the presence of my enemies and prepare a table. Last week, we went on a little bit of a journey and talked about that God's table is a place of abundance, how his grace is not stingy. But he pours himself out over and over. And because God is limitless, he doesn't have to be stingy in pouring out his grace in our lives. And today I want to talk about God's table as being a place of uh, invitation. I, I noticed uh, as I was out in the foyer today, I saw a lot of faces. Uh, some are back from college. It was good to see them and connect with them a little bit. Yesterday uh, and Friday, we, Tammy and I were over in uh, Grand Rapids as we celebrated uh, the uh, official closing of our nest as our youngest uh, graduated from Cornerstone University. It was a great time over the last couple of uh, days. Wesley flew back out early this morning to, uh, to Arizona. And I know there were a number of graduations uh, over this weekend, last weekend. There were a whole bunch of graduations around the state. And then coming up, we got a lot of high school graduations. This is the season. I think they start this week uh, in our area schools and uh, up in Croslex and those types of places. And uh, I always love them because lots of cheers and lots of tears. <laughs> There's a lot of those for families, but it's a great, great celebration time. So congratulations in advance of all those who are graduating this season. Well, as we've talked about God's house, um, we've worked through 23rd Psalm. Most often, at least when I've preached, and I, I find a lot of times when people do this, the most of the attention is given to the first four verses. If you do a series, you kind of focus on those first four verses. And I've been trying my best to really focus on the last two verses, verse 5 and 6 of Psalm 23. But as we begin, I just want to read the whole psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you were with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Read that with me, would you? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's do that one more time. 
And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, when we read that passage, uh, we probably um, start thinking about heaven and we start thinking about those types of things. But what I love about the 23rd Psalm, in fact, what I love about, about uh, the Psalms in general is that God is not just the God of someday, He's the God of today. And so as David is saying those words, and I, I really believe in the prophetic word of God's Word, that the Holy Spirit is inspiring individuals to speak. And often when they speak, they don't even realize how perfect their words are because the full realization is going to come in a later time. But as you look at that, and as I was reading this passage, oh, I don't know, two, two months ago maybe, I was just meditating on this passage, and as I read that phrase, surely goodness and mercy, that's the one I always cling to, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And as I focused on that passage, all of a sudden these mental images began to pop into my head of the biblical pictures of that phrase, the house of the Lord. Now, the first picture that jumped in my head when I see the house of the Lord is, I think of God's house as being the temple, right? And the temple is the place of perpetual invitation to worship. Jesus said it that way when you think of the temple. And, and you could call it the tabernacle. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was the traveling tent temple until the point where they had a permanent temple which Solomon built with some of the supplies that his dad had put together and there's been a couple variations of the temple but when we think of the temple I think we kind of think of a structure and it's the place where God's presence dwells and Jesus when he's talking about the temple or his father's house in Matthew chapter uh, oh what is it Matthew chapter 21 Jesus says um, that it is written to them my house will be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of robbers. And it's not that the, that the temple is just the place of prayer. It's the place of worship. It's the place of intimacy with God. It's the place where you can experience God. It was the place where God's presence resided in the Holy of Holies. We talked about that in our very first or second week this year. And so when he talks about the house of the Lord, it's not just about praying. It's about experiencing God. It's about coming into his presence. And when we think about it in the Old Testament, there are so many passages that deal with the temple. But one of my favorite ones is in Isaiah 6 verse 1. And it's not even so much about the temple, it's about the God whose presence is in the temple. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1 says it this way, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Hey, any of you ever go to a Promise Keeper event? Some of the guys here, you, you remember those? Some of you are going, what in the world is a Promise Keeper? That was back in the 90s. There was this whole movement. Hundreds of thousands of guys would get together in stadiums to be challenged, to be men of promise, to be men who promised in their families. And they had a song that they did. It was, um, I see the Lord seated on the throne, exalted. Oh, I used to love that song. You're saying, Pastor, you're old. Yes, I am. And above him, it, his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphs, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord God Almighty and the whole earth is full of His glory. It's the place of God's glory. The temple is His presence. That's the image as David is speaking. He says, and I will dwell in the presence, in the glory of the Lord forever. What's interesting is that when you come into the New Testament and Jesus' death and his resurrection, there is a little bit of a change because in the New Testament, we are the temple. Paul says it a number of times, but it's interesting in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, don't you know that you yourselves are the temple, or God's temple, and that God's Spirit lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. So, so now temple is not a place. Temple is not a, a house, a physical structure. Temple is us that God takes up his residence. He says it again, specifically in reaction to sexual immorality in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 6. He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It is he is, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so he makes this strong challenge that, that the strongest call for holiness is that God is with us at all times as believers in Jesus Christ, that we now are where God's evidence and His presence is. So you don't have to go someplace to worship. You just simply worship God where you are. In fact, when we say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, I'm being a little bit uh, probable. I don't think I'm being unbiblical. I, I'm talking about a specific way because God's Spirit is already here if believers are here. Right? But I'm asking, Lord, manifest yourself in an unusual way, in your anointing. And, and so come upon us in a, in a power. And so we are now the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But interestingly, someday in heaven, God and the Lamb, His Son, they are the temple. Um, if you go into Revelation chapter 21, John, as he's seen the vision of, of that day, that magnificent city, he says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine for it, for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its light. And so as he is as he is speaking these words i'm not sure david has all of that clarity in his brain but carried along by the holy spirit he utters the prophetic word that says and i will dwell in perpetual presence and perpetual worship and all the days of my life because god is now and god is then he says i am forever going to be in the lord's presence in worship what a blessing. Temple. But then there's another picture that pops into my brain. And it's the picture of heaven, which is our promised future home. The passage that I think of, and you're going to say, well, Pastor, you quote this passage all the time. Um, I don't care. I like this passage. It's one of my favorite passages. I probably 
probably 90% of all funerals that I do, I will at least read this passage or quote this passage. It to me is one of the most powerful promises that we have. John 14. Communion has taken place. The washing of the feet has taken place. Judas has already gone out from amongst the disciples. And it's kind of like Jesus looks at his disciples and says, okay, now that we're alone, I have some really important things to talk to you about. Things that I had to make sure I knew who was here. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and I'll take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said, why? Because Thomas is always the guy who says this stuff. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I love this passage. Heaven is described in so many different ways. Uh, it's described as the magnificent, uh, glorious temple, that God is the temple, and the Lamb is the, the light, and He is the light, and He is the temple. A magnificent city, a far greater country, but I love this imagery because He says, um, my Father's house. Tammy and I are in kind of a different transition right now. And um, some of you would know that my mom passed away earlier this year. And uh, so we are in that whole thing where we're trying to settle estate matters. And mom had downsized tremendously. We sold the farm and, and uh, had sold off almost all the things on the farm years ago after my dad passed away. But um, we had to liquidate her condo. And so um, about a month ago or so, um, I went down met with my sisters and and the, the the what we needed to do was to go through mom's things and uh you know divide things up and such it wasn't enough to do a big sale or anything like that and uh, so we drew names out of a hat to see who would go first and then we just started choosing stuff and my mom you know what struck us is my mom was so modest oh my mom and dad both they just lived so modestly mom didn't need things she just didn't need it. She was just content. I always say she, was, uh, she loved her little nest <laughs> and she uh, loved her little chickies around her and, and uh, she was just pretty content. And uh, so when we got done that day, we, we basically cleaned out the house and then we moved things out to get for a garage sale. And that was it. And we were done. I was, <laughs> we're done. We're done moving. And I thought to myself, okay, well, until we move, we're done moving. And so I think a day or two later, uh, Tammy was talking about the weekend with her mom and dad, and uh, they were down in Florida, and uh, they, uh, she started talking about the mom that we're going to sell the condo and stuff. And they had been thinking about getting into a condo and downsizing and such. Long story short, they're buying my mom's condo. <laughs> Which you're saying, hey, great, that's awesome. Yeah, but who do you think has to help them move? And so two weekends ago, Tammy and I, or three weekends ago, went down there, and we went through and we're trying to help them consolidate 49 years of life in a home into a condo-sized 
evacuation. And so we were taking things over. And I just felt so weird because I'm going back into the garage, putting boxes into the garage when I literally, the last time I was here, I was carrying stuff out of the garage. And uh, folks have said to me, uh, is it going to be weird for you? And I don't know yet because we, we haven't really, they're not in the house yet. But she, they said, is that weird because that was your mom's place? And I said, no, not really. Because when I think of home, I don't actually think of the condo. Eh, that was my mom's nest. But when I think of home, I always think of the farm. Where my nephew uh, ended up buying the farm. Uh, that sounds bad. Bought the farm. That's, uh, that, he didn't die. He bought the farm. He purchased the farm. <laughs> I will tell you when I walk back to the, the little home farm there, it's just a little tiny little place, but when I walk there, oh, memories come back. They flood back. Nostalgia comes back. That's where I grew up. That's to me. And even though that was my mom's family's farm, I grew up on the farm, I always say when I go there, it's, it's my, my father's house. And so whenever I think of in my father's house, there are many rooms. I always think home. And Jesus says, your heart's what? This, this, this promise for the future. In my, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a future home, and, and that should bring tremendous peace to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Your hearts needn't be troubled because of this future promise and it has tremendous hope with it because he says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And oh, by the way, if I prepare a place for you, I'm coming back so that I can take you to be with me so that you can be where I am. So there's this future glory, whether it's our departure through passing or his coming and the rapture of the church, the coming of the Lord. He says, this is a tremendous hope that's there for you, but it came with a payment. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we have this great hope of a heavenly home that is bought and paid for by Jesus' blood and sacrifice. Couldn't pay for it on our own. That's our heavenly home. So, so he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever in perpetual worship in the presence and the glory of God. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, my Father's house where I have peace, where there is no more mourning or crying or pain. Number three image, it's a banquet because of the coming celebration. Revelation chapter 19. You're probably going to wonder how my brain got here. I'll explain. Revelation begins to give us this image of what's happening. And he talks about the tribulation period and he talks about the coming of the Lord. And he talks about the, 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 the Lord coming and His imagery as He comes. But then it says this, Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Wedding supper of the Lamb, a great banquet celebration. And you might be saying, 
okay, I think you're stretching it just a tad. That, that doesn't really go with in my father's house. And it doesn't unless you understand the Jewish wedding celebration. Because when a couple gets married within the Jewish customs of those days, there were, there were four stages to it. The first stage, we would call it, oh, it's, it's, uh, we got engaged, but it's, it's, it's better than that. It's betrothal. And betrothal is a legally binding commitment between two individuals to get married. Now, they're, they're not allowed to yet be intimate physically with one another. Uh, they don't yet live together, but they have made a promise. And, and the way it would generally take place is either fathers would talk to each other and arrange it, or in the case I think of Joseph and Mary, Joseph approached uh, the father and he was interested in Mary and they were betrothed to be married. And by the way, the reason I say it's legally binding is that so you'll notice that when Mary was found to be with child, which was baby Jesus, uh, through the, the uh, uh, conception of the Holy Spirit, Joseph didn't know that. He thought she had been unfaithful, and so he had it in his mind to do what? Put her away quietly. Translation, divorce her. Because he had to. There had to be a divorce. You couldn't just say, hey, we're not going to get married. So the betrothal takes place, and then comes the preparation time because the groom says, okay, we're going to get married. We made the arrangement. We've worked it out with families. And so now the groom goes to prepare the home for the future day in which he's going to have the bride with him. The bride readies herself. And this can take a period of months or it can take years, but there's a period of time that a preparation takes place and he might be building a home, he might be building a life, he might be, um, he might be uh, buying something that's already existing. So Jesus says what? I go there to what? Prepare a place for you. Then there's step three, the return. It's the presentation of the bride. And so what happens is the groom, when the house or the place is made ready, he begins to come back for the bride and there goes out a declaration, a messenger who goes out ahead of time and he says, hey, get ready because the groom is on his way and everybody scrambles to get things in place. So what does this sound like to you? This is the parable of the ten virgins. Matthew 25. If you don't know the parable, Jesus says the kingdom of God, the heaven, is going to be like this, is that the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and there were ten virgins who were going to be the bridesmaid of the bride, and they were supposed to get their, their, their little candles ready or their oil lamps ready. Why? Because a lot of times they would come at night. And so there would be a celebration on purpose, by the way, because as the celebration would begin to go toward the wedding celebration, the lights would light up the town and people would know what's taking place. And so it says there were 10 virgins and five of them were ready. They had their, their little lamps and they had their little candle wicks ready to go. There were five who didn't do anything. And all of a sudden the cry came out, hey, the bridegroom's coming, get ready. And they're going, whoops we don't have our stuff yet so they go out to get the oil and to get the lamps and while they're there the bridegroom shows up 
picks up the bride, goes with those who are ready to go. They take off for the wedding celebration. And oh, by the way, it says, the five virgins who were delayed, they came to the party late and they weren't let in. You're saying, well, this doesn't make sense at all. Yeah, because the presentation of the bride to the groom is now taking place we look forward to the day of the groom's return, Jesus Christ. We, the bride, will be presented to him. But here's the last part. There's a big old celebration that takes place. The wedding supper of the Lamb. And the celebration of the wedding was going to be this huge banquet celebration. And by the way, isn't it interesting that Jesus' very first miracle that he performs is where? at a wedding, making the wine. Why? Because there's a celebration taking place and sometimes the celebration would only be a day if your family didn't have much money. If your dad was loaded, you might have a week celebration. That's a long party. And that was a party that was going on and there was a celebration happening. By the way, just a little side note here. The length of the celebration was directly proportional to the wealth of of the groom's father. Our groom's dad is loaded. I don't know if this is right, but isn't it interesting that right after this discussion in the book of Revelation, it talks about the thousand year reign of Christ, the millennial reign wouldn't it be something if the celebration goes on and on and on and on and on and David says surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the perpetual glory and the presence of God not someday but today we are the temple of the Holy Spirit that there is a day that I can have peace because of that day in my father's house not just someday but today let not your hearts be troubled because of the future promise that's been paid for and that someday someday he's coming again and there will be a glorious celebration let's bring it full circle to where we started the series Luke 14 Jesus replied a certain man was preparing a great banquet other passages there's a there's a kind of a, uh, in, in the other Gospels, it alludes to a great wedding feast. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. And they all alike began to make excuses. And the first one said, well, I just bought a field. I, I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said that I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And another one said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and he reported all of this to his master. And then the owner of the house became very angry and he ordered his servant, 
go out quickly to the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you the truth, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Why? Because even though they'd been invited, they never accepted the invitation. And somehow in the prophetic, as David uttered these words, and the Spirit of God carried him along, I don't think he had foggiest idea of how powerful the imagery is. But he said, and I will dwell in the house, the perpetual sense of God's presence. I will dwell in the future home of my heavenly Father. I will dwell and celebrate God invites us to accept the invitation. I happen to hold that the invitation is open. But you still have to accept it. And one more connection. Jesus, on the night that he had Passover, what we call the Lord's Supper, communion he says these words and it's powerful it says while they were eating Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he said take and eat this this is my body so he's identifying that the bread is indicative of his perfect sinless body which is broken for them and then listen what he says about the cup he says he took the cup and he gave thanks and he offered it to them saying drink of it all of you This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now look what he says. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When are we going to drink it anew? At the wedding supper of the Lamb. The great celebration. Jesus said, this is what I'm doing for you today. This is what I have done for your past. But it is also hearkening to the day when we dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. Father, thank you. Holy Spirit, I said earlier today that you are welcome here and I am always amazed at the beauty and the orchestration of your word. You don't just fling things out hoping that they're important. I believe your word is vital because it helps us to see the intricacy and the meticulousness of your grace.
And if you've not already prayed this, certainly we can pray it in this moment. Jesus, thank You for the provision that You've made for my life, my forgiveness. I've accepted Your invitation. And if you haven't previously accepted His invitation, you can simply say in this moment, Lord, I accept Your invitation. I'm reminded by the bread, which is your body, the juice, which is your blood. I'm reminded of the promises that you have made to me. And Lord, I'm renewing and reminded of the promises that I've made to you. Help me to live today in such a way that when that time comes for someday, it's just a transition. Thank you. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake in the body of Word of God says that following the evening meal, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is my new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do so in remembrance of me. Let's partake in the cup of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the promises. Thank you for the provision, but thank you for your presence today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand with me? Before we sing, I thought it'd be good for us to just simply, together, read Psalm 23. I think they're up there. Let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Amen.
His name is above every name. Amen. Jesus, the name above every other name. Yeah. Jesus, the only one who could ever say we live for you. Worthy of every breath. We live for you. provision. He's still is abundant in his grace. If you'd like to pray for any need in your life, prayer partners are already up here ready to go. Love to have you come. The rest of you, greet one another. Have a great day in the Lord. God bless.